January 5th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. Got a lot of stuff to uh, get to, including Villanova's loss at Butler and Baylor's win over Iowa State and what those things could mean for the AP poll come Monday. Louisville is 0-2 in the ACC. Virginia's 1-2 in the ACC. That's weird. We'll get to that as well. But I want to start uh, with what else? Uh, Mike Krzyzewski's decision to bring Grayson Allen back after just one game, of course, when he was caught tripping for a third time inside of a year, uh, the preseason national player of the year was suspended indefinitely. Uh, folks kept asking basically every day, so what does indefinitely mean? How many games is Grayson Allen going to miss? We got our answer Wednesday night, and that answer was one. We got that answer as soon as he uh, was introduced in the starting lineups. Actually played well. Uh, they destroyed Georgia Tech, which... Uh, is at least worth noting because Georgia Tech had just beaten North Carolina by double digits. But I ask you, Matt, I know you wrote about it. Um, are you okay with Coach K bringing Grayson back after just one game? So I'm going to say I'm okay with it, but I disagree with it. And, yeah, listen, I wrote a whole column on this because, obviously, when the second you see Grayson Allen's going to be back, you know, the opinions are going to have to come. It's part of the business we're in, and it's legitimate. So I did take some some thought into it, and the one thing, you know, the one question that I had is the way that I teased the column on Twitter is, you know, if Mike Krzyzewski did not have to have surgery, would Grayson Allen have played in the Georgia Tech game? My answer is no. What is your answer? Do you, do you disagree? Do you think he would have played if, if Krzyzewski was healthy? I think he would have played no matter what, but I understand the point you're making, and I think it's a reasonable point to make. Yeah, I think that he would not have played, uh, given the fact that Duke has another game coming up here this weekend. Um, my my prediction, not that it means anything now because he's coming back, but if in, in an alternative universe, if Krzyzewski was healthy, didn't need surgery, I think he would have sat this game, uh, one away, one home, come back, and off they would have went. Now, because he has to have surgery, and the reason why I think this is even more the case is because you saw Harry Giles in the starting lineup. In the postgame press conference, Krzyzewski said, this is what I wanted to see. The starting five that they ran out there is the one that, you know, Krzyzewski wants to start the tournament, in my opinion, when you've got Allen, Giles, Jefferson, Kennard, and Tatum. I think that's the five that they he thinks they have the best chance to win with and We'll probably see the most minutes together on the floor. So I think he did that so you could get him going. Capel could, you know, get a flow with that team. I also think for those that want to feel cynical, you're not off base. If you want to say that Krzyzewski did this because he knew that his health and him going on hiatus created this, you know, side-by-side storyline here where Allen comes back, but also people are asking him about – you know, his, his surgery and, and how serious it could be. And I, I was watching on ESPN News. I think even one reporter said, you know, is there any chance that you might not come back, you know, or might come back later than expected? And he said, I'm not going to rush it back. But, you know, he's just got to do it because he's got to do it. The pain's too much and he's getting it fixed. And he wants to get back as soon as possible. Indefinite is indefinite. Indefinite could have been freaking 48 hours, okay? It right. could have been 48 minutes. That's the definition of indefinite. To me, I would have liked to have seen it just be – a little bit longer, but it was, you know, two full weeks in terms of time. It was just only one game. I would have sat him down one more. Um, 
in part because I think that would have been better PR, but it's Coach K. He doesn't give an F about PR. The, I'll leave you with this, GP. So he's come back. It was one game. It, no matter how long he had sat out, if it ever happened again, it would have been you know a huge deal. But this, if if Grayson Allen does anything remotely controversial, ill will on the basketball court again this season, the the length of the suspension. I mean, it's, it's all going to come back on Shashevsky as much as it'll come back on Allen. So Shashevsky knows better than us. There's been private moments, and hopefully Allen's good, and he knows like you can't even think about doing this again. And I hope he doesn't, because there's no room for it. I I just I just wonder about that if we get to that point again. I mean, it's going to be absolutely open season on Krzyzewski. Another incident, and people will be calling for Grayson Allen to be dismissed from the team, whether that's an overreaction or not. Those columns will be written, and those podcasts will be recorded. Um, The lucky thing about all of this is there's been three incidents, and nobody's been hurt. Like, if if one of these results in an opponent getting hurt, then we're probably also having a different conversation. I think your initial answer to the question I ask is exactly my answer. I'm okay with it. Grayson coming back after one game, I disagree with it. And you also touched on another point that's important to remember. I would be thinking about this from a public relations perspective, in addition to other things, but that would be part of the equation where I don't think Kay cares about public relations much at all. Like he's just above it. You know, he just is like he's, you know, he's the he's the coach who doesn't have to do the halftime interview. You know, like John Calipari only does. One, the only one. The only There's one. No one. It's it's always looks weird when he has to do it during the NCAA tournament because it's mandated. Right. So, it, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. He is there. He considers himself a status a tier above that. No doubt. He, he can. Would you agree with this? He carries himself a level above everybody. Yes. I mean, in other words, like if, and, if you wanted to go sit down with John Calipari tomorrow, you could sit down with John Calipari tomorrow. If you want to sit down with Roy tomorrow, you could sit down with Roy tomorrow. If you wanted to prank call Bill Self right now, you could prank call Bill Self right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, you really could, and he might prank call you back. No. <laughs> but, but like, uh, like it, it's it's a process, even for I don't I don't mean for this to come off the wrong way, but for people who have jobs like the jobs we have, it's so still if you want to get in a room with Shashevsky and talk, it's a process still. Without a doubt, right? And, you know, unlike, unlike actually, even a little. I was even a little surprised. And granted, it's Billis. He's really well, that's the, the yeah, biggest yeah. You know, sport, and he's a Duke alum player. Right, but like, I was even surprised to see that Billis did a sit down with Shashevsky after the game at SportsCenter aired. I mean, it, it really is no. And and listen, a lot of that he's, I guess, earned it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you could really make the case he's the greatest basketball coach ever. Sure, you can make that argument if you want. I'm, I'm including Wooden. I'm including any NBA coach because of all his Olympic success, whatever. Um, but you're right. He does operate like he, like, and here's why GP just to kind of throw something out. So he had, it's not wrong for him to think that because I even feel like one of the bigger potential scandals of the past six, seven years in college basketball has been all but forgotten the Lance Thomas saga at Duke and how much did Krzyzewski even entertain that story? How much did we even get? And again, it's it's part of the the shield that kind of ex- exists around Duke. And don't get me wrong, the, the program itself can be media friendly when it wants to be. But in terms of just Shashevsky and him uh, having the kind of access and opening himself up in those kind of ways, it's 
it's very different. I mean, I've wrote, written a couple stories about Krzyzewski over the years. I have never been able to get him on the phone. What I've done is I've sent in questions that have been relayed to him, and then those quotes have then been sent back to me. See, that's just that weird. Doesn't happen with, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't, doesn't happen, happen with any other co- coach. No other coach. Hey, so. No other coach like on the planet. Like if, if you wanted to talk to Greg Popovich, you could get that done easier. Right. I mean, so, sincerely. So, and, and like, yeah. yeah, and he's not like he's not totally Bill Belichick. I mean, he does post game press conferences and all, whatever. But the point we're making here is that he certainly carries himself in a different realm. And he is on multiple occasions made a strong point to remind everyone that what I want to do with Grayson Allen and how right. I want to teach him and how I want to go about fixing the situation. A lot of that's going to be done in private. And you don't you know, you do not get the right to know what I'm going to do in all facets of fixing Grayson. I get that, and some of it's legitimate, but it also comes off as a big-time reason why people can't stand Chester. Right, and I'm not pretending like you you can't get in a room with Chester. I don't want to make it like he lives on another planet. Like, I've sat with him at AAU games, and he's always been cool with me when you get him. I'm just saying he ain't the type of guy you just just decide you're going to get today. It's a process to get to him, unlike it is anywhere, uh, anybody else. Uh, the halftime interviews that he doesn't do and everybody else does. My point is these are all parts of public relations that 99% of basketball coaches deal with on some level and are happy to deal with, or at least willing to deal with because they do care about the way they're presented or the way they're written about or talked about. He genuinely doesn't care, or at least he understands he's reached a level where it genuinely doesn't matter. And that's really more than anything. My initial point, I would be looking at this if I were him, um, or if I were me, from a public relations perspective. It doesn't appear that he cares about that at all because what I would have done for, from a public relations perspective is decided whatever happens at Virginia Tech happens, but I'm going to beat Georgia Tech at home no matter what. We're not worried about that. And then what's the next game? Boston College. Next game, I think it's Boston College. Right. I don't have it in front of me. But isn't it home Boston College, I believe? It's. I think it's Boston College. And so what, what I would have said is, all right, Virginia Tech, we're going to have our hands full. Like, it's a top 30 type team. Hostile environment. Buzz is really good. Whatever. But then after that, we get Georgia Tech and Boston, Boston College. Those teams were picked, I think, 14th and 15th in the ACC. So it doesn't matter – um, if Grace Allen's there or not, hell, it doesn't matter. Like if probably if Luke Kennard's there or not, you should be able to handle those two teams. So what we'll do is do a three game suspension. We'll frame it as one for each trip. And that should satisfy most reasonable people. You just remind folks that Grayson Allen didn't punch a woman in the face. He didn't you know, get a DUI. Yes. He had an, an incident on a court that we find uh, troubling and, and we have given him a game for each. That's more than some coaches in some sports do for much more serious things. And then you bring him back after that, and I think it, it just plays better. Uh, so that's what I would have done. I would have suspended him for three games, not because I think somebody who trips people on the court deserves a three-game suspension or has to sit more than one. I honestly, like people kept asking me, well, what do you think? I don't, even, I don't have any idea what a suspension ought to be for what Grayson Allen's been doing because I, I don't think it's malicious. I just think it's weird. Like I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, you know, cussing out your coach in a hallway. I, I think he just like there's something real going on there. I don't know what the proper game suspension is for that. So I don't. When I say I would have done it for three, it's not because I think one's unacceptable. I just think you could have done it with three, got away. You could have done it for three, got away with it completely in terms of the win loss record, and I think got away with it from a public relations perspective as well. 
But if you don't care about the public relations perspective, bring it back whenever you want. Yeah, I, I, and and so that's what they're going to do. He, I mean, he's also listening. He's looking out for his guys. You know, there's a there's a very strong. I'm not huge on this word, but it is legitimate here. There's a very strong Duke culture there. Duke dudes look after Duke dudes, and so Shashevsky's going to help Capel by getting the full roster on, not having him deal with the Grayson Allen stuff. When's he going to come back? Is it your call? Was it Shashevsky's call? If it was Coach K's call, did was he in the right position after surgery to right. make that call? He's he's bypassing all of that by basically coaching his final game before surgery, getting Grayson out, taking all the crap that people are going to throw at him last night and today. He goes under the knife on Friday. Hopefully it'll be out a month, and and so we go. So so we'll see. It, it, you know, I'm interested to see how the team is with Capel. I don't expect too much of a dip overall, but I will say they do have. We'll talk about this more next week, but they do have road Florida State, road Louisville next week. Those are both tough games. I wouldn't expect them to win both games, whether Kay or Capel was on the bench in general. But it'll just be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks. On we go with Grayson. Hopefully, I mean, he looked, and I wrote this in the column, I tried not to read into his body language too much, but he did look energized, appreciative, happy on the floor. And it, he definitely looked like, you know, I, all right, I know that I, you know, I effed up here and, and I'm going to take the most of this opportunity that I'm getting this chance again. Um, so hopefully he has that for the rest of the season. If he, ha- if he hasn't learned a lesson, I, I don't think it's a lesson. Like, I don't think it's a lesson that can be learned. I mean, he was nationally humiliated. Forget about how many games he missed. He was nationally humiliated and now carries around a label uh, that will stick with him forever. Like, uh, like I said on the podcast last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, um, he could go on to be a two-time national champion, first-round draft pick, and rotation player in the NBA. Every time he checks into a basketball game for the rest of his life, somebody in the stands is going to make a tripping joke. It won't be a funny joke, but they'll think it's funny. He's going to have that attached to him forever, just like the Notre Dame football player and the made-up girlfriend. He, you know, th- th- Whenever that guy pops on TV, Manti Teo, somebody somewhere makes a girlfriend joke to this day. Somebody somewhere does that. Grayson's going to have to deal with that forever. His own fault, self-inflicted. But my point is, if you can't learn, if you have it, if, if if you can't, if whatever lesson people want you to learn hasn't been learned over these past couple of weeks, no matter whether you miss one game or three, um, or or fifty, uh, it's probably not a lesson that that you're going to learn. The point you made is an important point, uh, important point, and it's one I I wrote about last night, and that's that if I were trying to argue against myself. Everything I just said about why I would have done three games earlier, the argument to make is let's just get this all out of the way before Jeff Capel takes over and before I have surgery. Uh, let's, uh, you know, if I go into surgery and Grayson still hasn't played, every time my interim coach, who's walking onto a stage unlike anything he's ever seen, and that's while acknowledging Jeff has coached a team that was. I believe ranked number one in the country had obviously had Blake Griffin went to an elite eight. Like he's, he's coached, you know, serious basketball teams, but the stage at Oklahoma and the stage at Duke are drastically different uh, stages. Even if you happen to be at Oklahoma with a top five team and coaching Blake Griffin, it's just a different deal in there. And so uh, let's get, let's don't make it where Jeff's walking into a situation that's going to be um, unusual you know, who, who inherits a preseason number one team in the middle of the season? Like, this is pretty rare stuff, if not unprecedented stuff. 
Uh, let's not make it where he has to deal with the Grayson Allen situation on a daily basis, where every time he's on a conference call for the ACC, every time he's uh, doing pregame media stuff, postgame media stuff, somebody's asking him about Grayson Allen. And then when we bring Grayson Allen back, somebody's asking him to explain it. Let's just get that out of the way. I'll answer the questions however I see fit. Then I'll go have surgery. You coach the team. If, if, like, and I do think there's some of that in there, if not all of that in there. But if that's the way it was ultimately framed, I could sign off on that. That 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 makes a lot of sense to me to do it that way as well. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I I totally get it from that perspective. Can disagree with it, but onward and here we go. Uh, we're going to get to the rest of the ACC in just a second, but first let me tell you about Seat Geek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that show or concert that you want to attend. And none of the older ticket sites have ever seemed interested in changing that. But SeatGeek is different. They've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go when I'm going to buy tickets for games or concerts. It's the app I used to go see uh, Guns N' Roses last summer on that reunion tour. It's the uh, app I use to go uh, see Kanye's uh, St. Pablo tour in the fall. It's the app I'll use next time I'm going to attend anything. It's the app you should use too because SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you uh, by searching multiple ticket sites to ensure you get the best possible deal. In other words, SeatGeek does all the work. You save time and you save money. If you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, you're going to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's College BB. So get on it. Download the SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. While uh, Grayson Allen was making his return to the court, uh, Louisville dropped to 0-2 in the ACC, and Virginia dropped to 1-2 in the ACC. Concerned about either one of them? Well... It's going to be hard for either to win the league. Louisville is starting to take on an interesting profile because it's behind the ball in conference play, yet it has a, a great win over Kentucky, very solid win over Purdue, win over a Wichita State team that I expect to get to the NCAA tournament, and a really close loss against Baylor. And its its losses are all good. Baylor, right. Virginia, at Notre Dame. Those teams are all, all good. Uh, concern, no not really. Listen, Notre Dame plays really well at home. That team, by the way, was one that I was, you know, we talked in previous podcasts about how we were wrong about Texas. I was, I thought Notre Dame would, would squeak into the tournament, maybe a first four type team. Nope. I was way wrong. They continue to be as good as you could imagine them to be on offense, considering who they lost last year. Bonzi Colson is really floating in that top 15 range for player of the year. In my opinion, Vastoria continues to be able to make big shots Near the end, Matt Farrell is one of the most improved players in the conference. I don't have a lot of concern there, GP. Virginia, well, <laughs> so they get the win over Louisville, uh, you know, a week and a half ago or whatnot. But it's weird because I watched most of the game that they lost at home in early December to West Virginia. At the time, I chalked it up to, okay, listen, West Virginia could very well be for real and might, at the time, I wasn't sure, but like, they may be their top 12, top 10 good. They're showing they certainly have that capability right now. But then for Virginia to lose in a way that you never see them lose against Florida State, it was a it was a low scoring game and they could not stop Dwayne Bacon. OK, fine. Maybe a little bit weird. And then I know it's a road game, but still Virginia's a better team than Pitt. 
And credit to Pitt because they get a win. That could be the kind of win that helps the ACC get to 11 bids this year in the tournament, which is something that is on the table, in my opinion. I don't have – let me – let's talk in a week or so, GP. Mm-hmm. They host Wake Forest this weekend, Virginia does. Then they go to Clemson. They should win the Clemson game. But if they have some issues and barely win or lose, then I think we can come back and just and really ask if this Virginia team might not be what we thought it would be, and that would be a top-three quality team because that's what Bennett's built out. Don't want to overreact too much, but I do think we'll have some solid answers about this team uh, about eight, nine days from now. It is worth noting that Virginia's 1-2 and two in the ACC. Last time they did that, last year. And they ended up 29 and 8 and in the Elite Eight. So it's not like it's something <laughs> sure. that they can't recover from. But I will say, um, last two games, they let Dwayne Bacon go wild on them. And that's worth noting because they don't let anybody go wild on them outside of Malachi Richardson, of course. <laughs> but it's pretty rare for somebody to just get off on, on Virginia like that. And then I don't know how much of the Virginia pit game you saw, but we had it on in the studios at the CBS Broadcast Center. They gave up 18 points in overtime. Like, like they don't give up 18 points and a half sometimes. Yeah. And they right. gave up, they gave up, you know, I think it was tied 70, 70 at the end of regulation because London Parenthes hit a three to send it to the extra period. And then like pit just went off on them. and it was 88. What? I don't remember what the final was, but they, they I know they pit finished with 88. They scored 18 points in the overtime. So that's a little bit concerning, but the larger issue for Virginia and Louisville, and you ready for this Duke and North Carolina and Miami, and Virginia Tech, and Florida State, and everybody else in that league, there are 13 top 55 Ken Palm teams in that league. Now, you know as well as I do, when, you, when you're on the road against a top 50 team, like, you're up against it. I don't care who you are. Like, it's just a hard... When you're on the road against a top 50 team, like, the point spreads are never going to be more than four, five, six points. Like, Virginia last night, uh, a team that in moments can look like the most dominant team in America, at least on the defensive end, was only, I think, a six-point favorite at Pitt. And Pitt's just Pitt. So my point is, you're in a fight every night, even if you're a legitimate national title contender, which I think some of these teams are. Obviously, Duke, Carolina, I think Virginia, Louisville, maybe Florida State, given that they're sitting here at 14-1 and with the wins that they've got. Um, Even if you're a national title contender, you're vulnerable in, in the majority of your road games. And if you go look at the Ken Palm projections right now, check this out. This is how difficult this league is. Duke is considered a, a top five Ken Palm team. Uh, North Carolina is a top 10 Ken Palm team. Virginia is a top five Ken Palm team. Louisville is a top 11 Ken Palm team. Have you looked at this? Are you looking at it now? I have- I have not. No, I'm. I'm actually. I'm like the listeners right now. I'm. I'm waiting in suspense. Guess who you think Ken Palm projects to win the league? They actually project a, a tie for the league, a, a three-way tie for the league championship. I'll just tell you who they are. Uh, it, was, it doesn't matter. Here's uh, here's, here's my oh, real quick. Okay. My guess is Virginia's got to be in there because they've already lost three games and they're still right. If they've lost three games and they're still a top five Ken Palm team, I would have to guess that they are forecast to, to for, share the league. Virginia title. is one of them. The other two are Duke and North Carolina. Here's my point. Guess what their final projected ACC record is? I'll say five losses. 12 and six. Wow. So they're projecting even these consensus top 10 teams to lose six games in the ACC. That's how tough the ACC is. This is going to be the type of thing, and I I give credit to my buddy John Rothstein uh, because he said it uh, in studio last night. 
like 50 times and, and probably 50 times again next week and next week and next week. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Rossi knows I love it. Uh, yeah. um, Refraining from all the Twitter jokes right now. No, I gotcha. Go um, like it really might go down as the toughest league in the history of college basketball. I mean, that's the problem with conference expansion. Like everybody makes more money, but like good luck trying to finish without a whole bunch of losses. Because when you add programs like Notre Dame and uh, you know, um, Syracuse and Louisville, like I, I wrote about this, I think in the off season, that Wake Forest job, like I, you know, it used to be like a like they had that thing rolling for a while. Yeah. But when you bring in, so the job's still the job, whatever Wake Forest job was, it, it is what it is. But when you bring in Syracuse, knocks you down a spot. You bring in Louisville, knocks you down a spot. Bring in Notre Dame, probably knocks you down a spot. So just by conference expansion, that Wake Forest job becomes way more difficult than it's ever been. And I think that's true for the league in general. And, and these projections are, uh, I think, some evidence of that. When you've got the preseason number one team and the team that is still the favorite in Las Vegas to win the national championship and the most referenced computer formula has them going 12 and six in their league, that's that's an insane league. Yeah, well, what will end up happening, I think, is there's going to be a cram in the seating. You're going to have situations where if ACC teams win, they're going to be meeting in the Sweet 16. Uh, that will be inevitable while the committee tries to dodge that. I also wonder what's going to happen, and there's so much to play out, so we'll see. But if that does happen, what you're going to have is one or two teams at the very least with really good resumes and quality wins, but just a pure number of losses. And so what we could have, man, I cannot remember the stat. I think, I believe, and I think Michigan State is one of the two or three teams. I think the record the modern record for most losses for a one seed is seven. It might be six. I know it's not eight, but I think it's seven. So we could have, and Michigan State did it a few years ago, so we could have a situation there where it's either Duke or Carolina or Virginia, Florida State, if, it, if it's rolling without a doubt, could be a team that takes on six total losses or seven but still qualifies for a one seed just by the pure strength of the league and the, and, and the quality wins that they'll have therein. Oh, well, yeah. Well, let me be clear. When I say projected to go 12 and six, I just mean to, like the, just six league losses. That's in addition yeah, yeah, yeah. to whatever yeah, yeah, you've no, already yeah, lost I, outside I, of the league. So, I I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I so, that. so I think you're right because if we're going to go down calling this the toughest league in the history of college basketball, and I don't want to overstate it, like let's not make that a headline, but like it could end up being that in a, in a variety of ways that we measure such things. How do you not give the champion of that league a one seed? You know, so like, so if if we're saying the champion of the league is going to have six, seven, eight, nine losses, like, how do you not give it a one seed if it, if somebody just won the toughest league in America? So we could end up having an all time like this one seed had more losses than any one seed in the history of the NCAA tournament. I don't think, I don't even think that's unlikely. I, I think it's probably, uh, probably probable. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, want to talk about two other. Uh, outcomes from Wednesday night one of course was Villanova at Butler I think you and I both thought like it would be a close game the three previous games between Villanova and Butler I think had been decided by 11 points total Uh, so it didn't make any sense to think this one wouldn't be similar Uh, and by similar I just mean down to the wire and it obviously was but Butler pulled away late and Villanova's 20 game winning streak was snapped 
so that happened. And then because that was an early tip, I think it started at like 6.30 Eastern, maybe 5.30 Central, uh, we had a situation where, I, I don't want to pretend the whole country was doing this because I know you weren't, um, but, but I was. You had a situation where Villanova lost and suddenly Baylor is playing. And you know, or at least I know, if Baylor is able to beat Iowa State, I'm going to make Baylor uh, number one in the CBS Sports Top 25 and one. And that's not like something that goes down in the record books. Um, but it is a typically an indication of what's to come with the AP poll. And so I do think it's certainly not cemented because I don't think Baylor will be a unanimous number one. If, Did you just say cemented? Cemented. No, it's cemented. It's, you can say it's cemented, particularly if you grew up that's, in North that's, Mississippi. That's, I think that's a that's an R rating for this podcast. But anyway, cemented. No one, no one says cemented. Of course they cemented. do. Cemented. Cemented. I say cemented. <laughs> I say cemented. Is that a, are we are we having a, a North versus South situation here? I, I just thought you were you were getting a, a little too graphic there, but then I heard you put on the tud. You so. thought I was gonna. You thought I said semen. Yeah. Why yeah. would I? Why would I say semen while talking about Baylor? Because you said cemented. <laughs> no, cemented, like cemented. All right, man. You don't it, say it, that. That's not the way you say that. That's not the way most people say it. How do you think Devin Downey says it? Shout out to Devin Downey. I bet you Devin Downey says it's cemented. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. So, so Baylor. I don't think it is set in stone. I don't think it's set in stone that if Baylor wins this weekend, Baylor will be number one because I think there are AP voters who will vote for somebody else, perhaps Kansas, just because. But um, it's I think it's likely if if Baylor wins this weekend, they're going to be the number one team in America come Monday for the first time in school history. And I, I went last night because I knew I was going to write about this. If Baylor won and they ended up winning. Uh, just sort of trying to provide some context for what this would mean for that program and for uh, college basketball in general. And it was August 2003 when Scott Drew took the job. August 2003, he takes the job. He's 32 years old. How old are you right now? I'm 35. You're three years older than when Scott Drew took the job at Baylor. So he takes you're, this you're job. What? You're like 12 years older. Now. Don't talk wow. about me. I'm not that old. I'm 39 years old. I turn 40 this month. That's depressing. Don't take it. Depressing for you. You think it's depressing for you? It's depressing for me. I'm not even ready to look at 36. I can't do. I don't even want to think about 40. Anyway, so he's 32 years old. I'm 40 years old come this month with a newborn. What? How did I screw my life up like this? What? Why did I do this? I can remember. See, I had one son when I was too young. And then I had two more when I was when Kelly and I were too old. And by the way, they're always they're all with the same woman. People ask me that sometimes because you tell them. You, <laughs> people say people go. Um, right, right. Yeah, because people go. Uh, so you have kids, you have children. I say, yeah, I have three. They say, what are the ages? And I say, thirteen, three, and newborn. And they and they look at me like, oh, I see. Because what that what that what oh, that yeah. what that suggests is, had one with the first wife, left her, got you a younger woman. And and got uh, and then had two more. And I'm not saying that wasn't on the table at some point. I'm just saying that ain't the way this went down. Uh, all three are with. Oh my lord! All, yes. all three are with the same uh, woman. So uh, so I used to remember. I would go. Okay, I'm. Uh, th- okay, so what am I now? I'm 39. I'm. I have a 13 year old. So I would go. I'm 36. I've got a 10 year old. 
and then he's going to be out of the house in eight years off to college. So when I'm 44, no children in the house. Get back to living like a living like I like to live. It's going to be amazing. I'll be 44. Kelly will be 39, 40. And we'll just, and so we'll still be young and no children in the house. It's going to be unbelievable. And then we just reset the clock completely twice. You cemented your future is what you <laughs> I've cemented my future. I've set it in stone. Shout out to Devin Downey. So now you want to do some math on it? I will have children in my house till I'm 58 years old. Yeah, I'm going to be there with you. But what? I also intentionally – how did we even get to this? I, I intentionally – enjoyed my 20s and saved children for my 30s so i got i got no regrets well i enjoyed great no my i know you did too but my you, you know. i still enjoy life i just it just it's, it's harder to do when you have all these kids running around so anyway scott drew is 32 years old yeah so scott drew is 32 years old and he inherits the the program at baylor that had just had a player murder another player and that that investigation leads to the, the discovery of all sorts of NCAA violations. Basically, everybody gets fired and they get put on probation. There's scholarship reductions and all sorts of other penalties. But they don't even have like a full season. It's a whole deal. Yeah. They weren't even allowed to play non league games one year. They just had to start with Big 12 play, right? And keep in mind, like, you know, I, I was, we were bouncing off ideas last night in the, in the studio and it was like, you know, Penn State football, you know, what, what Bill O'Brien inherited, except that was still Penn State football. I mean, it was a mess. And I'm not trying to compare crime to crime, so I won't. But, like, it was still Penn State football. There was a lot of history there. This is Baylor basketball. There's really nothing there. So you you start at that point in August 2003. So then 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, they finish either 11th or 12th in the Big 12. They don't even have that many teams in the Big 12 anymore. They finish 11th or 12th all four seasons. Obviously didn't make the NCAA tournament. 2008, they break through, finish 4th in the Big 12. And that was the first of six NCAA tournaments in a nine-year span. They're on their way to seven NCAA tournaments in a 10-year span. They've gone to two Elite Eights, and now they're, they're probably just one win away from being ranked number one in the country in the AP poll for the first time in program history. Like, I don't think people who don't really follow college basketball or live in Waco understand just how bananas this is. It is about as bananas as a young coach taking over at UMass and making that the number one team in America once upon a time. Like the, the, and, they, it and it happened. Um, you know, like, uh, like UMass was among the worst division one programs in America when John Calipari walked into that thing. And then they had it operating at the highest level of the sport. And then they got into some trouble and whatever. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying the idea that you could go from there to number one in the country is bananas. And the idea that you could go from murdered player incredible NCAA penalties to, yeah, it's taken a while, but it's the same coach who walked into that situation still there, which is sort of remarkable in and of itself, given the, uh, the, the current state of college basketball coaching. But to go from that to number one in the country in AP poll, it is, it's insanity that this has happened. Yeah. And I'll add some, some of your thoughts here. Um, because, all right, let's look at the league, Kansas, and then below Kansas, you got like so West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas, OSU, Oklahoma. Point I'm making here is not only has he done this, but it is fair to say, if you look at the past 10 years, that Baylor is a perennial top four Big 12 team. And you can make the argument top three because everyone kind of fluctuates. Teams that aren't named Kansas will dip down and up, down and up. Um, 
So that's incredible because it was nothing. I mean, Baylor was nothing in football and basketball. You know, it used to be called Byler because it was just as good. It was like you were on a bye in football. You were going to win no matter what. You were going to kill them by 60 points. Baylor in basketball was very much the same thing. And as you noted on Twitter, the fact that this is happening right now, Baylor would be the number one. I know people like Palm had tweeted that he still thinks, or Lunardi tweeted, not Palm. Um, Lunardi said that Villanova would still be his number one overall team. Like, there's no. If I'm you sorry, if you Baylor, look at it by the it, numbers, there is no way to conclude right. anything other than that Baylor has the best resume right now. So I, I had some people go, oh, so they're undefeated, so you make them number one. No, it's not just that they're undefeated. I'm about to say two sentences, and they're both true. Nobody has fewer losses than Baylor in the country. That's obviously true. They're undefeated. Gonzaga's the only other undefeated. You can't have fewer losses than zero. Nobody has fewer losses than Baylor. This is also true. Nobody has more top 55 Kinpom wins than Baylor. They have more quality wins and fewer losses than anybody in the country. So it doesn't matter whether you're one of those people who focus on the L column or focuses on the W column. They're the best there is in both columns. Without a doubt. If the tournament started this weekend, they would be the number one overall seed. I have 100% confidence that the committee would, would do that. It is crazy that they've done this, not being a preseason team that was ranked, not having a five-star recruit because some of the other Baylor teams did make big victories on the recruiting trail and that helped them establish their reputation within the league in Scotch's earlier years. Now a couple transfers, Jonathan Motley has become a better player. Like, you know, he was a nice prospect, but I maybe someone saw this. I didn't think he'd be this good. I mean he's, he's a, legitimately top seven, top eight player of the year candidate. No, how about this? They, yeah, they haven't had a consensus AP All American at Baylor since Ever? Um, Have they no, had one? What, a yeah, eighty two like it was they 80 did, really? it was like 80 yeah. 82 83 who is it? can we shout him out who is it you know who it is i want to I, I feel i do like i can look it up cuz i bookmarked it i, I i'm going to guess first somebody teague i think it's somebody teague does that make sense to you does that resonate at all it's not you don't remember you don't remember the great teague era at baylor in the early 80s Hold on, i'm look i'm literally looking it up right now oh, i feel geez, like, i feel like it was the teague era of Basketball reference, AP All Terry American. Teague. Terry Teague? Yeah, he's in his second team AP All American in 1982. There he is. No, that's Teagle. Terry Teagle. Teagle. <laughs> Dude, I just, Teagle. T- I'm 40 years old. I can't see my computer. <laughs> shout out to Terry shout, Teagle. Shout out to Terry freaking Teagle. Never heard of this dude in my entire life, but a second team. He's, you know, I bet you like I bet you DeCourcy knows him. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's all in that. <laughs> uh, he he's a uh, number two all time leading scorer in Baylor history, dog. T- Terry Teagle, double T. I double love T. It. You don't remember TT? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know TT. Uh, That's too good. Well, and listen, the point okay, is. Okay, hey, uh, trivia, trivia time. If Terry Teagle is now the number two hmm. all time scorer at Baylor, who is number one? I feel like I should know it. Um, uh, who would it be? I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be someone in recent years. <sighs> number one? Yeah, who's number one? That's tough. I don't who know. replaced the great Terry Teagle at the top of the Baylor record book? Uh, the over-under. Did Devin uh, Downey ever transfer to Baylor? Because that could have done it. The over/under on our listeners that would know this answer, I'm, uh, you know, who, you know who my guess is. Hmm. It's this, this is probably wrong, but my guess is Lace Darius Dunn. I'm looking at him right now. Uh, I'm looking at his bio. You were looking at Lace Darius Dunn. Yeah, because I know he was a four-year player, but I don't know if he was. Oh, you ready for this? Okay. 
Lace Darius Dunn didn't only conclude his his career at Baylor as Baylor's all-time leading scorer. He's the Big 12's all-time leading scorer. Get the hell out of here. Lace Darius Dunn, he's the Devin Downey of the Big 12? Oh, my God. Devin Downey. Lace Darius Dunn is the Devin Downey of the Big 12. Do people Shut know that? Do people know no that? Idea. Hey, why are you kidding me? That's, uh, well, that's hold on. Keep it. Keep in mind. Keep in mind. Three minutes ago, I thought Terry Teagle was Terry Teague simply because I could not read my uh, computer screen. So let me let me let me look a little more closely here. Concluded stellar career as both the Baylor and Big Twelve Conference all-time leading scorer with two thousand two hundred eighty-five career points. Okay, so since then, though, like, did Buddy get more? I don't know. So he concluded. He concluded it. Who is the Big 12? This is a mystery that will have to be solved over the weekend. Hey, by the way, shout out to Tweety Carter. Oh, my God, dude. The, the, blowing my mind with these names. You Absolutely. It, Tweet, I haven't thought it, about Tweety Carter. I could not tell you the last time. That's some throwback. That's like eight years ago, nine years ago. Uh, six, seven. Epe Udo. <laughs> Epe, Epe Udo. Shout out to Epe Udo. <laughs> They played. Was, uh, he took Baylor to an elite eight. Dude, he was he was a beast. Yeah. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to? Uh, who was the uh, the talented dude that uh, Quincy Miller? When he was like a one and done, two and done. Yeah, we can we can start Quincy AC. Didn't they have a couple of Quincy's? Yeah, got a whole bunch of Quincy's. Whole bunch of Quincy's. Quincy's Terry Teagle, Perry Jones, Pierre Jackson. Someone that knows Terry Teagle, tell him we said hello. Yeah, tell Terry Teagle we said yeah. what's up. And if you bump into Devin Downey, tell him we shouted him out too. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible, assuming you want them. Please do that. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the games this weekend. Enjoy the gotta, games this I'm, weekend. I'm bumping into GPs uh, out here, but I'm, uh, I'm going to hit up my home state of Vermont and hit the slopes. Actually, real quick. I'm going to hit the slopes. I'm going to hit the slopes. You're damn right I'm going to hit the slopes. Last year, you and Sam did a podcast. I don't think I ever told you this, uh, but you because I, I go once a year. So um, I don't, rem- I don't year, remember I, ever talking to Sam. This sounds made up. Okay, it definitely happened, but I actually uploaded it. It's great to be talking to you now and getting this done uh, before I leave because last year, you guys did one. Must have done like a Friday, and you had, you had to send me the file because I'm the one that actually uploads it to the system and to iTunes and all that stuff. Stop, stop, and I was in right like now. a loud ass dive bar with these crappy, crappy headphones, trying <laughs> to listen to you and Sam. It was a mess. It was it was <laughs> it was a disaster. But I had to get that podcast up. I got that podcast up, so we're gonna make sure that gets up well in time. Well, thank God we're getting that up on a. Are you gonna get it up on a Thursday night? I'm going to get up on Thursday night. Yeah, so this is going up. So anyone listening late Thursday, you're welcome for this Terry you're, Teague. You're welcome. Terry, Terry, Terry Teagle. Terry Teagle. I just, <laughs> you called him Terry Teague. Son of a bitch, you got me into it. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Teagle. We'll talk, we'll, talk on, uh, we'll talk on Sunday night. We will talk on Sunday night. Till then, take care. <laughs>